Hey everyone, welcome back to Fifty Shades of Blue. Psych! Latter-day Takes is the new name we have officially rebranded. I hope you like the logo. Special shout-out to Sean Gleason, a good friend of mine, who helped me with the concept of all that, and she put it together. It's not officially finalized yet, so I don't want to do her a disservice, because she wants to kind of touch some things up, so what you see is kind of the temporary art, but it's basically going to be the same thing. Anyway, I hope you like it. Latter-day Takes seems to be a little bit more on brand for what I'm doing here, obviously. BYU Sports has obviously run its course very quickly, even though I, I will uh, give shout-outs to BYU Sports uh, you know, pretty often and just kind of give sports takes here and there. The idea, though, is to kind of make this podcast about society, culture, whatever's happening in the you know current events through the lens of myself, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a single member of the church specifically, living in Utah, you know, whatever comes to mind. Anyway, and I just hope whatever I have to say can maybe resonate with people here and there. Anyway, I hope you all had a great weekend. I hope you're looking forward to a good week. I hope you got a good start. Um... I had a pretty funny thing happen on the weekend. It was totally uh, self-imposing, kind of hilarious and sad at the same time. I uh, was leaving kind of this get-together for a friend who had graduated uh, from as a uh, certified nurse, something like that. I don't know. Pretty big deal. Anyway, sorry. Don't have that totally locked down in terms of what it was. But anyway, left that little gathering, had some time to kill because I was meeting up with some buddies to see a movie. And I thought, well, you know what? I got a crazy sweet tooth right now going brewing, so I think I'm going to go down to the chocolate and grab a kazuki because that was a failed attempt a few weeks ago while I was out with somebody. They were Their oven was broken, and we didn't get our kazuki. So anyway, which for those that don't know, a kazuki is basically just a kazuki. It's chocolate chip cookie, or it's a cookie with you know ice cream and stuff. It's amazing. So I went and ordered one over the phone, and by the time I got there, you know, I just got ready and it was ready and everything. I went to go pick it up. And I went there alone, obviously, to pick it up because I was alone. And I'm just like, I'm just going to like eat however much of this I want and then just, you know, throw the rest away probably because they are pretty big. Anyway, whatever. I don't need to explain that to you. And I paid for it. And as I'm getting handed the stuff, she's like, oh, would you like, uh, would you like a spoon? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great, actually. So she leaves, comes back, and she's like, I'm, I'm guessing you want two spoons. And... <laughs> Instead of correcting her, I just was like, yeah, <laughs> because obviously I felt like a loser. That Kazuki was 100% for myself. It was not a date. It was not for a significant other. It was for me. The I was the only significant person involved in, the, in that relationship. So I gladly accepted the spoon so I didn't have to walk away in disgrace and clear, very clearly admit that I was the only one eating that Kazuki. So anyway, that was a little funny experience, I thought, but thought maybe you'd all appreciate hearing that and also very sad anyway on today's episode i got my mom on the show and we talk about a very current event involving a sex therapist that was a member of the church that recently got excommunicated we go over kind of what the name was they don't call it excommunication now i can't remember what the church calls it and refers to it now but it's the same thing they asked her to leave the church and a lot of kind of the controversy stirred up the mainstream media has kind of taken that on and said like oh what are the sexual issues within the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints so they don't want taught or whatever my mom has a great point of view on these things. She's very well connected in this arena. She is a marriage and family counselor. She has done 
sexual counseling from time to time. She talks about that. We get her perspective and we just kind of go for about an hour just talking about this. So I hope you find it interesting. I think it was pretty interesting. I think it'll be pretty valuable. And uh, let me know what you think. And we'll just continue moving forward with this on the podcast. Thank you for all the help I received. Shout out to Mike Hansen and my brother, Graydon Anderson, for helping me kind of come up with the name. Uh, Latter-day Bros was thrown out there for a little bit, but then it was determined that that might alienate potential female listeners, and I didn't want to do that. So Latter-day takes it is, and I feel good about that. Anyway, let me know what y'all think. Hope y'all are doing well. Have a great week, and we'll see you later this week. Mormons are my favorite. They're my favorite. Yeah, okay. They're absolutely my favorite. All Mormons are nutty Mormons. Mormons are the nicest cult of all time. Beautiful, and these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. (laughs) Everybody's so nice in Utah. Just being a Mormon's nutty. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the best cult. My favorite religion is Mormons. They're the nicest people. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. Okay, joining us on the podcast today is my mom in Draper, but it is by no means a Draper mom, for those wondering. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, My mother, who has a master's degree in social work from UNLV and a PhD in marriage, family, and human development from BYU, the author of two books, one more in in coming soon. I don't know if I would say coming soon. (laughs) One more in the waiting in the wings. Uh, Actually, several, but someday maybe I'll write, or maybe it'll be in the next life. (laughs) Fair enough. Plenty of time to do that, I think. That's right. Lily Anderson, my own mother, joining us, which is, by the way, the first guest on the Latter-day Takes podcast, which is the new name, Converting mm. from Fifty Shades of Blue. So Nice. I know we, we thought about Latter-day Bros, which was a little bit funny and kind of on brand to some degree, but we didn't want to alienate, alienate any potential women, female listeners, because, um, you know, I obviously would like Trying to, to be inclusive for everybody <laughs> to listen. Yeah. Nice. I hadn't heard that new title. That's nice. I like it. Latter-day Takes... Um, I do want to say that one of my really best credentials is that I was a full-time mother at home for almost 20 years before Revelation sent me back to school. And I feel like I really had a great privilege in trying to learn how to apply gospel principles on the ground, so to speak, you know, boots on the ground and trying to figure out um, how to tap into the spirit to parent and deal with um, life as it as it came at us, and I'm super grateful for that experience. I have eight amazing children, so um, not that I can take credit for that. The older they get, <laughs> the more obvious it is that they make their own choices, and they're doing wonderful things. So, I'm super grateful for all of them. Six now in-law children that I also think are wonderful, wonderful people. Most and of them are all right, probably. <laughs> agree. And we are, as we speak, imminently expecting the of grandchild number 36 who is a week late a little more than a week late now which is not common it seems as of late so no our cup runneth over that's right um so would that mean that our names are on your resume as your, your kids <laughs> absolutely all right any resume that really matters well you know you are in alphabetical order oh. <laughs> so you have to say that <laughs> we typically go in alphabetical order which was an accident to begin with. We didn't know if we were having boys or girls back then, so um, we 
would have called Adam Bethany and Bethany Jacob and Caitlin Saul if the genders had been different. It's funny because we don't primarily like, we don't really consider ourselves a family from Utah because the majority of the family was raised in their, in their childhood outside of Utah, right? Las Vegas was 15 years of very formidable years for a, lot, a large portion of the family. But then we moved to Utah and there's eight kids in our family. We are named A through H, as you noted, alphabetical order, which as you also noted was an accident. That is one of the most Utah <laughs> like church approaches to a family it probably is i'm always a little embarrassed by it because um, I know that. well a little because i'm not cute like that like i, I don't <laughs> think of things like that to okay. do i mean naming all your kids j's or you know h's or whatever you know i it just Jace wasn't does j does seem to be a popular one that's a popular reason. one isn't Why it? Is it j Why i don't know j, yeah. but we um but really if adam had been a girl he would have been bethany bethany would have been kate it was a friend that called me and said, do you realize your kids are named in alphabetical order after Caitlin with a C was born? Mm. And I was surprised because I hadn't had that in my mind at all, um, but um, couldn't help but think of D names for the fourth one, although had it been a girl, we didn't really have a D name that we had settled on, so we might have broken the pattern at that point. It's almost as if we were destined to move to Utah at a certain point in time. That's, a, and just that's an interesting right in. and maybe a little bit scary thought. <laughs> Not that we don't like Utah. We obviously love it here, and we, we loved living here, we, and state. you still live here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not from Utah. I grew up in Indiana. Right. And, I, I um, claim Utah. I mean, I'm, we moved here when I was 11, so well, I, our four I'm youngest hap- graduated very happy here claiming and Utah. And it's a beautiful place, and it there is. are lots of wonderful people here. There are some interesting cultural anomalies quirks there's no question quirks that's a good word um that can can be challenging sometimes but anyway really some it is a lovely state so uh, initially i wanted to bring you on so you could lecture me about not being married because your i said was not my style 33 year old son not married still just lazy as ever and just a deadbeat (laughs) All that stuff. And, and none of those words have ever come <laughs> out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I never necessarily said they did. But anyway, fair enough. You can, you can clarify. That's I'm okay. clarifying. Um, and, but we want, I want to pivot because there's actually something a lot more relevant that took place recently. And something that you particularly have a nice resume to address. Or, your, you know, your credentials can certainly falls into yes the category under of your my purview. professional interest yeah, and absolutely. involvement and mine as well kind of by default mm-hmm. maybe just because i'm your son i don't know but i'm for, certainly have found it interesting so what we're referencing is that recently there was a uh, natasha helfer who was who is a sex therapist um, certified certified sex, sex therapist. therapist out of kansas um who was excommunicated from the church and i guess they don't use that term anymore they say um what do they say removal of membership or something, something like or termin- I forget exactly what the term is people out of PTSD from the term excommunication apparently I don't know but anyway so it's not called that anymore but anyway mm-hmm. Natasha Helfer was asked to leave the church essentially which not her choice so she got taken off the list I guess so to speak and um, she there's been some interesting fallout from that and we'll cover a lot of these topics but you know, her approach has really been an interesting one because she's cast all sorts of ac- accusations against the church, saying, first and foremost, she doesn't think she should have ever been, you know, t- uh, asked to leave the church. 
tried for her membership. Or tried so for her membership. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah. And her, because her philosophy was that what I'm teaching is important for members to know because essentially the idea of sex in the church has been a muted topic and she wants to bring a lot of the taboo to the surface to make it so it's not as hard for members to cope with sexuality in the church, something along those lines. Well, I think that that's a, a not an unfamiliar uh, contention. And I remember my mother was a therapist, as you know, before she got her PhD in sociology and then ended up spending most of her career as a professor. But um, And then she ended up teaching in the School of Social Work, the first graduate school of social work at BYU. So she certainly was involved in the field um, for much of her career. And she likely has a lot of protégés out there. That there are a lot of people who still would know uh, yeah. my mother, Genevieve DeHoyas, who was a remarkable woman. But um, I remember growing up in Indiana, my mother would sometimes help out stake presidents or bishops that had um, members of the warder stake that had issues and they felt safer having them speak to um, a member of the church who had clinical um, references and, I mean, you know, professionalism could, could actually do counseling. So um, she wouldn't ever disclose identifying information, obviously. And Indiana was, the whole state was one stake back then. So it was a, you know, it wasn't like we right. would know these people because they were our neighbor's you know, it was pretty far flung. The membership was pretty far flung at well, that time. Well, it was time. likely that she wasn't necessarily bringing this up over the dinner table anyway. Oh, no, we brought up everything over the dinner table. Oh, okay. That sounds <laughs> so. a lot like our family, so Fair. Yeah, like our house. But at any rate, she did say that um, sometimes there were problems with virginity with young Latter-day Saint women who would have Hold been out even when they told, got married. Yes, it could give them some trouble in transitioning to the sexual parts of marriage because she said, you know, if we keep telling people something's bad and it's terrible and they need to stay away from it and it's dangerous and destructive or things like that, uh, sometimes the message is delivered poorly. Sometimes it's received inaccurately. There are a lot of variables there, but um, either way, it wasn't a terribly uncommon problem. I don't think it was ubiquitous by any means. My mother never indicated that, but occasionally she would say, yeah, I've worked with some young women in marriage who, who need a little trouble or help adjusting um, to seeing sex as a positive and healthy part of marriage. And, so and, and I, necessary, quite frankly. Well, right? yes, yeah, certainly necessary. Not um, just even for procreation, but when you say even from just It's like a, a binding agent yeah, in a marriage, exactly. and it is something certainly that God has ordained to be good in our marriages and should be enjoyable and in a, in a very binding, positive, you know, certainly respectful and always kept within the bounds the Lord has set. He always says that, that desires, appetites, and passions are to be kept within bounds that are set by our Heavenly Father uh, for our good, but um, certainly positive. Anyway, um, so I remember that from my youth, that, huh, that's an interesting point. And certainly I didn't get that message from my parents, even though my mother being French and my father being Mexican, we actually didn't talk very openly about sex, but my mother certainly answered any question that I had. That was a cultural thing, you think? Yeah. I mean, my dad was uncomfortable seeing any of us in a full slip. <laughs> so, I don't even know what a full slip is. What's a full slip? You know, it's like a dress with straps that <laughs> covers everything oh. that would go underneath a dress, you know? Just, oh, okay. So anyway. Um, That's a Mexican thing? No, it's not. But I mean, being <laughs> a little bit Victorian. Okay. Fair enough. The point is... It's understandable that we have a little bit of that problem in the church. I remember seeing a cartoon in, I think it was Sunstone Magazine, a long time ago that uh, had a car of a newly married couple, right, with the placard on the back that said, just married. 
But in, in place of the just married sign, with all those cans attached to it, it said, just received permission from the brethren to have sex. <laughs> that was many years ago. And that's true. That's yeah. how we see it. Well, it is an interesting Not the brethren, conundrum. but God, really. I mean, that whole, that, that whole commandment is an inter- it, it, it places an interesting conundrum indirectly, um, and even in some cases directly, that you're, you know, you're told to refrain from committing a specific act, or, and, and if you don't, it's a grievous sin. Now, Certainly. if and then once you get to a certain point of marriage, obviously in a relationship and within the bounds of yeah, you know, appropriate, the, legal yeah, and moral and whatever exactly, uh, the law, sanction. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can then it's and I'm not saying like free reign here, obviously, but then it's then you are allowed to commit that same act that you are told to refrain from. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just it's interesting nonetheless, well, because you don't see many sins like that. Um, I suppose there is some truth to that. I guess I one, and I'm not saying it's a perfect um, analogy, but I have used it, and I think it has its point. Is that it's kind of like chocolate chip cookies? You know, if you eat them right out of the oven, they burn your tongue. <laughs> but if you wait till the right time, they're amazing. So there are some things that you know need to be in the right time and place, and and it is better to wait than to you know, play with fire or, or get burned with something that has such power. So, you know, we wait for some things until the right time and place. I don't think it's the only thing that we say, oh, let that come in its right time or whatever. But I, I would say that it's certainly one of the most significant, if not the most significant, because like you say, we do consider that the sin next to murder to, to mess with those procreative powers outside of a appropriate balance. But we... um. We then want people to have a very comfortable, happy, healthy, and enjoyable adjustment with marital intimacy. Now, let me let me say that, um, and I talk about this a lot in counseling, that people, I mean, I certainly have done my fair share of sex counseling. I'm not certified with ASECT, which is A-A-S-E-C-T, and that is the, I think, the national accrediting body for um certified sex therapists. I've looked at their website. I don't like it. I don't like what their requirements are. I think that they really cross a lot of lines and desensitize people to some perverse sexual behaviors I as part of that. I imagine very agnostically driven. Maybe not even agnostic, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. And I'm not trying to. Yeah. But it's not, I don't find it to be, I mean, I do think it's it's a, a dangerous area and can easily be mishandled. And I, I they, they do a lot of exposure to, they want the, certified sex therapists to be uninhibited, so to speak, in terms of their perspectives on all kinds of sexual behavior. And so they do a kind of desensitization um, experience that, that is part of their training. And I, and I find that to be really um, unsavory. <laughs> so, and not, up, not edifying in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think you have to be a prude to be um, healthy about or appropriate about sex, I just think that that um, God knows better than we do what is for our good. And having a reverence for body parts and function is what God teaches. Not fear, not repugnance, not certainly not frigidity in marriage, not um, you know struggling to to feel comfortable in in a marriage relationship, but but reverence. 
So you bring in, you bring up a really, really interesting point here that is what we're starting to see specifically with the fallout with this Helfer thing going on, that Natasha Helfer leaving the church. Um, I actually shared with you a podcast from Radio West because they had Natasha Helfer come on to talk about all that because they were highlighting Well, it the, wasn't Natasha Helfer, remember? It was another it was, lady. She was on it for oh, at okay. first, and then there was her friend that came on, and then there was that historian that came on. I can't remember his oh, name. Oh, okay. I guess so I didn't get the they transition. They did three different people, but yeah, she was okay. on it at first. She okay. she was. They even noted that she wasn't particularly talkative and that they actually she didn't want to talk about like mm-hmm. certain components of the excommunication itself. I'm just going to call it an excommunication. I can't. It's quicker. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she couldn't, she didn't want to speak totally to that. And so that's why they brought her friend in and her friend kind of talked a little bit more along those lines. But her friend said something, I don't know if you remember this, and this is what I wanted to talk about based off of what you just said, which her friend said something extremely interesting, really, quite frankly, exposing, And I think, which was to your point of saying earlier that there are things that in order to get accredited to be a sex therapist, you have to adopt certain norms and values that they push out to their holders essentially at least to be exposed to them sure because yeah. they i mean they can't which is a dangerous game i think there itself. are probably some they, good members of the church who have become certified, certified sex, sex therapists, therapists that, that don't agree everything with all of Fair the yeah, yes. that makes sense and i and i really think there are some but i know that some of them have also talked about that training as a you know kind of a dark experience interesting so um and I can't speak for them, and I haven't been through the training, but having read about it I and heard about it from people who know, I would agree with that. And, and I would not be surprised at people characterizing it like that, but I don't think that they all necessarily adopt that. I think that the issue here, to some extent, Harper, is that there is a, a need in our, in our community. I think that there are people in the church who do have issues around sexuality, and they do want to have a safe and appropriate forum in which to discuss some of these issues because they can create problems. Even when I was teaching at BYU, I'd have some young married students that would come into my office and say, is it okay if I ask you some questions about this? And, and I was always happy to help wherever I could. So I recognize that there's a market for it, which means there's a need for it. And I don't, I, there's nothing wrong with that need. Yeah, and, I, and I, yeah, I'm glad you're clarifying because we're certainly not commenting on that. I mean, it's right. Like- but I, I think that, that I never the, thought I'd be doing a podcast talking about sexuality in the church with my own mother, quite <laughs> frankly. But here we are. Oh, I know. We did talk about everything. Yeah. But um, and then to clarify a little bit, too, just to try to get our facts correct um, or clear to the audience, to the listeners. Um, she I, I think it's true. I don't think she wanted to be excommunicated, but I don't think she was very careful about her membership either she spoke out against church leaders as you said and in some very disrespectful terms um, she openly uh, said she was in favor of same-sex marriage and thought the church was wrong about that she thought the church or she stated um, that the church was wrong about uh, masturbation being a problem or pornography being an addiction which is kind of quibbling because whether it's an addiction or not pornography is definitely a compulsive behavior that can create all kinds of that destructive was a, a major outcomes. focus of that podcast from radio west by the way Specifically yes it, it, that, it was those two topics. that's right yeah. so I, I do but i do think you can get lost in the weeds arguing about whether or not it's a full-flown 
full-blown addiction. That's not the issue. The issue is, you know, is it good for people or is it bad? I totally agree with that. It's like, sure, whether or not it's an addiction, which we both believe it is or that it can be. certainly has those characteristics in many cases. Regardless, that's not even the biggest issue. Mm -hmm. The biggest issue is what's what's driving you to consume it in the first place because it really has so many adverse effects anyway. Exactly. That's right. And and the the point is um, that there's a, a clear attitude there that the recommendations, well, I shouldn't even say recommendations, although it include those, but the commandments that are part of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the words of the prophets and so on are up for controversy, that they're up for discussion and even for disagreement in terms of like, well, they say this is bad, but I say it's not. And that's a pretty serious issue. And then, of course, the disrespect with which she referred to church leaders and pretty much impugned them as people who talk about homosexuals as degenerates and perverse and stuff like that. And, Which, and that's right, certainly we, not the vocabulary of the church concerning homosexuality. I've literally never heard that. Well, never. if it was said sometime in the 19th century, perhaps, sure. or early early 20th century, yeah. But if we're going to play that game. But if you're going to play that game, <laughs> that's right. What was so, the rest of society saying then, too? That's right. So, you know, I don't know what she was referring to specifically, but that's certainly not the way that the church leaders have talked about homosexuality. Um, in in public ways, there's you can go and reference the Mormon and Gay website that is um, on the church you, website. Can we can we mention your yeah. your impact there? Yeah. So you specifically were on a committee mm-hmm. that essentially created that website, created the content for it, right? Which is creating that website, right? And there were four therapists that were all I would say really well grounded in the Gospel of Jesus Christ with you know, good testimonies and that um, had an allegiance to the commandments, to the scriptures, to the gospel. To Which the, is amazing the that you even have to put on that qualifier. But I, yeah, it. but it, but you do. <laughs> you really do. But you're right. It's kind of sad that we're in that stage, but we will be till the Savior comes. So anyway, and then one of the other interesting parts of this was that she um, did go to her disciplinary council. She had been living in Utah, but um, her membership was still in Kansas, and that's where the disciplinary council was called and held. And she had been asked not to record the meeting, which is totally appropriate. And I've never heard of, a, of one of those meetings, the disciplinary council being recorded. No, I'm sure it would be advised against in yeah. every case. It's so, easy, it's so easily misinterpreted or misrepresented. So let's just not go there, right? It's private. It's meant to be private. And very personal. Very personal. And that, that, that's interesting just kind of when you think about what a disciplinary council is meant for in the first place. And if you're trying to, you know, go in with this assumption that, this this is something that I can maybe get them on is like you're the whole perspective is, is lost <laughs> on you of what this is even for. Uh, well, I would agree. Now, I don't I can't speak for her and I don't know if she intended to record it or not, but she had been asked not to. So they asked her to turn off her phone just to make sure that that didn't happen. And what she reported was that her notes in preparation for the meeting were on her phone. So she declined to turn off her phone and instead left the disciplinary council before it really got underway. Uh, There was a group of about 30 or 40 other people who had come to Kansas to support her. And they ended up having a meeting somewhere in a nice outside area and they sang songs and said supportive things and ended by singing We Are Family. That's what's reported in the Washington Post and other places. We Are Family? Yes, it's a, you know, we are family, whatever, anyway. It's supposed to be all, you know, kind of togetherness. and The old, like, Motown song. I think so. That's the one I know. So not not hymns. 
No, well, I don't know if they sang hymns before or whatever, but it Which didn't hymns specify at, it. at this point, when you're singing them in that context, to me, it just comes across as sanctimonious anyway. <laughs> well, again, I'm not trying to speak to their motives or whatever, but there was this group that had come there to support her, and then they all tried to do something supportive. But, but I do think that they missed a lot of really essential points. In again, if she really intended to try to maintain her membership, she wouldn't have left the meeting. I mean, that's a pretty clear indication that I'm not going to submit to that authority. Or, And, and I, I understand, we, a lot of us keep our notes on the phone. Is that an insurmountable obstacle? Or can you just say, well, can I have some paper and I'm going to jot down some notes? Or can I... There's no way. Take it, you right or go now, print it out. Good heavens. There's no way that that, that uh, outlet wasn't offered to her. There's no way. There's no way. I mean, it's pretty Everybody pretty there obvious. was saying, oh, well, if her notes are on her phone, uh, sorry, we can't. I mean, so you got to leave. That's, That's it. That's right. Like, they don't give her the option to write down and have a hard copy of it. There's right. no way that Or that she that couldn't happened. have printed it out beforehand or whatever. Anyway, clearly, you know, there there could have been some accommodation that would easily have been made. And even if they had to juggle the time or whatever, people aren't trying to throw people out of the church. They're really not. Like, that's not what the purpose of disciplinary councils is. And, um, and there are a couple other things that I think are really interesting parts of this story. That Really the, quick, though. Well, I guess... Let's, okay, you, you know what? You go ahead. I, I, I do want to make sure we touch on, because I had mentioned it earlier, but we didn't ever actually fully uh, talk about it, which was the idea that what her friend said on that podcast, which was that, and you may be getting to this soon, and if you are, then we'll circle back to it, but I want to make sure we don't miss it at least, which was that she had specifically noted that as a sex therapist, because this friend of hers, I believe, is a colleague, they felt like what they were learning in their what's the word, their occupation, within, Professional you know, their arena. profession and everything, mm-hmm. was so important and it was something that they felt like needed to be taught to others regardless of what the church had thought about it, meaning that essentially their dogma, not just replaced, but trumped that of the religious dogma that they're a part of. Uh, absolutely. So uh, what... Did you want to get to this later? Yes, I or? think this is the next thing okay. because... Um, in the original Washington Post story that uh, ex- talked about Natasha Helfer, and this was prior to the disciplinary council taking place, but it had already been called, they noted and linked to a letter um, that was written by some other Latter-day Saint therapists. I think at least one of them, and maybe more, were certified sex therapists also. Some that are sort of familiar names of authors or so on. But anyway, a group of them wrote a letter, and then it was signed by some 600 Latter-day Saint therapists. 600 now? Is that, is that, yes. Has that grown in the last week? Even? Not since I first saw the letter, so, oh, so not in the last oh, okay. week. I don't know that they're allowing others. I not Yeah, it was, they, at first they said they were going to be like 200 or whatever, but they turned out to be like 600, I think. Holy cow. Um, I think that's accurate. I would stand corrected if somebody has better information, but I read through the letter, and um, there were many things that I disagreed with so I don't want to say that this is the only thing I disagreed with but this was enough right here (laughs) I would never have signed that letter and I'm sorry that people did I was saddened to see that there were many students that are in therapy programs that signed and did put as their credential that they were students and I think that that's really unfair to invite students to participate in something like this because they're so easily influenced by their professors absolutely and anyway it I don't know that they would maybe fully have the experience or I mean, this understanding. is akin to just like having the mark of the beast on you as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I mean, there's always repentance, right? Um, but I do think that they might not have understood fully and they might have gotten caught up in the moment. Um, but 
and maybe others were caught up in the moment. But I, this is part of the letter that I want to reference, and it's very near the beginning. I mean, and, and interestingly, this was a letter that was addressed to the state president in Kansas, which already I find to be you know, uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't think it's anybody's business to tell a state president how to handle things in a disciplinary council. I think that's that's kind of arrogant and inappropriate. I guess, not to get too tangential, but I am curious, is there a precedent in, like, at what point do you draw the line? Because, I mean, obviously open letters or even private letters to these church leaders, especially these local ones, are very much invited. Um, I don't know that they invite them okay, to maybe weigh not in invited, on a disciplinary but a press- council. Okay, sure, but not on a disciplinary council. So that's where you draw the line specifically. Well, I just think there's an arrogance about here, President Daly, we don't think you should excommunicate, and here's why. I mean, that's, that seems like... Oh, do, absolutely. Do, how do they know all yeah. the things that he's concerned about or... I mean, it's just, it's it's kind of presumptuous in so many ways. Now, I... It speaks to a larger issue that essentially they have lost faith in the church's system. And let me be quick to say that I am not suggesting for one moment that every bishop or every state president is 100% inspired in everything they do. Now, that does not mean I don't sustain my leaders. I do, and I work actually pretty closely with a lot of bishops who refer to me or have over the years, and I think they're wonderful men. And to the vast extent, I think that these are good men who sacrifice a great deal to contribute to their awards and to um, offer this kind of service and love. And the so I don't mean anything disparaging about church leaders, but we know that we're a lay leadership in our church. And some of these great bishops that actually I do work with say things like, look, you know, I'm an educator or I sell insurance or you know, I'm a plumber or an electrician or and I run this business and I'm not a therapist. So I like to have therapists that I can refer to and rely on. And, and they're the first to recognize that they don't have all the expertise available to them, although they don't. Um, for a minute, uh, undervalue the the mantle that they have that that is a, a very powerful one and that can really bless them in their efforts to to serve their their wards. Uh, my point is that I don't think it was probably intended to be a completely private communication to the state president. I think that they were trying to make a statement that would get out there and get some airtime somewhere, and it was linked in the Washington Post article, the original Washington Post article, so that you could read the entire letter. And that's where I read it, from that link. So um, it is addressed to President Stephen Daly, and this is uh, in the first section called Ethics and Agency. And the second paragraph there says, so this is very early in the letter, many of our clients ultimately choose to remain aligned with different Latter-day Saint teachings and or levels of ongoing activity within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For these clients, such practices are congruent with their mental well-being. For other clients, however, and this is the part I had a hard time with, distancing from religiously based ideas, influence, or activity by their own choice can contribute to improved mental health. What do they mean by their own choice, for one? Well, that part I, I'm okay with. because. Well, I mean, how do you client, know for sure it's their own choice well, when you're the one suggesting it to them? I don't think they're su- they're saying that they're suggesting it. I but don't know if they are or not. How else would they know what to do? I don't know, I guess. Well, my, my point is that, um, I mean, I, we all as clinicians need to believe in client self-determination. So I think that's what they're emphasizing. This is client self-determination. They're making this choice. And that's fair. As it's presented to them, though, is my overall point. And that's when you present we something that's... We don't know that's- enough. Exactly. Fair enough. That's you're not wrong know. about that. But I would say that there's a scenario in which somebody offers up something and says this may help. It is in contradiction with the gospel, but it may help. 
that's not impossible. But what I do know from this statement absolutely is that they are saying that in some cases, somebody distancing from the church or its activity is good for their mental health. And that I have a problem with Mm -hmm. because they're saying that God's commandments don't work for everybody's yeah. mental well-being, that God's com- God somehow doesn't know what's good for yeah. His own children. It is, it is amazing, and that's the part it is that amazing. I'm like, yeah. well, forget the rest, which I may or may not understand completely. You know what the setting was, right. and there are some, you know, possibilities that that counselors do sometimes suggest things that are contrary to the commandments, and that's that would be terrible if somebody is going to see an LDS therapist for the very purpose of not getting advice that's contrary to the gospel. And we have stories that show us that that does happen, and I think that is a terrible betrayal. But the big point here is that there are 600 Latter-day Saint therapists who presumably read this letter and signed their names to a statement that indicates that for some people it's better to leave the church for their mental well-being. And I, I, well, that did, did they blatantly say leave the church? That's what they're saying. Or they, for they just these say... clients, well, no, no, sorry. Um, for other clients, distancing from religiously based ideas, influence, or activity. Or activity, okay, sure, yeah. That's what that means. No, it could absolutely mean that, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And and then they say, okay, and this part again, I would agree with the next sentence, is mental health professionals, our ethical obligation is to contribute to improved mental health, or, or not to determine, sorry, to not to determine a client's spiritual or religious practice. Agreed. I can't do that. I'm not their bishop. I'm not their church leader. I and I don't put myself in that position. I don't call people to repentance. That's not my stewardship or purview. However, however, and I have worked with clients all over the scale, members, non-members, obviously in Utah, the majority of my clients are members of the church and most of them active. And most of them want to use the gospel as part of the framework that we're discussing because they care about their activity in the church and their membership and their beliefs. So that's always a pleasure to work with those people because we can, you know, tell the whole story instead of just parts of it. But there are many that I've worked with who are less active at varying degrees, some who've completely left activity in the church and some who don't believe anymore, some who sort of believe or they're friendly toward, but they're not really involved. Anyway, there's a whole spectrum there. And I've worked with homosexual clients. I've even worked just once with a homosexual relationship. That was when we were still in Vegas. And... um, And in every case, of course, we do believe in client self-determination. That's the only ethical practice. I absolutely subscribe to that. I don't try to tell clients what to do. It's not my life. But if they're coming to me, I am going to give them the best that I know. And even with a non-member or less active client, I'm not going to deviate from what I believe is best for all humankind, as God says. So even with a non-member, I'm going to talk about the problems of promiscuity or adultery or pornography use or other behaviors or, you know, having a bad temper or, you know, whatever. I'm going to talk about the problems with those things because I know that there are problems with those things because God has said so. And there are plenty of reasons for it. I have lots of examples. I certainly have, you know, long track record now There's of seeing of how poorly worldly, those things work. Worldly statistics that you could even point to. There are. Now, statistics can, what do they say? There are lies damned lies and statistics wasn't that a mark twain statement <laughs> oh, i'm gonna have to edit out my own mother <laughs> no you podcast. won't i'm quoting mark twain <laughs> okay. but, and it's true i mean i love research and that's one of the points that they make in this letter by the way it's a very long letter and it goes off and it talks about how research shows this and research shows that and they have an ethical responsibility to show the latest research or whatever but see that's where i'm kind of like seriously i value research i read it all the time i did research i have a research degree i i really enjoy doing data collections and analysis and whatever 
and I do read a lot and I and I think that there's value there but I value revelation more there's just no question about that to me and science I don't forget what the science scientific method is it's just the latest hypothesis don't don't ever come to me with science and say science is proven that that was another thing in that podcast actually they said that they said well, we know from yeah, we this. Know. And what's funny is that when you actually understand science and mm-hmm. everything, that it's on, the, it's on the front lines of guessing. And it actually admits Basically. that. They actually say it's not proven. They That's literally right. say this is not proven. True scientists always exactly. make those disclaimers or caveats because they understand that it's a constantly moving target. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. We're seeking, we hypothesize, we test, we rehypothesize, we test, we, you know, we continue. And that's why you hear words like it is statistically improbable yeah. as far as we know now, essentially. And now that's they right. don't see. Well, we see things often... like it indicates or right, there seems exactly. to be a correlation. And they're very careful about causation if they really know what they're doing because that's a bold statement right. to say this causes this. You know, there are some indications of that, but yes. Again, that's why correlation is such a hot way of putting it, it right? Is, because it they is. say, There's... and correlation, as they say, is not causation. That's right. Yeah. And we also have spurious correlations, right, meaning that exactly. it sort of looks like, like, like the, what is that old thing about how pickles can kill you? Because basically everybody who dies has eaten a pickle at one time or another. <laughs> right, exactly. Anyway, so yeah. science is a, is a, it's a great gift to the planet. I am grateful for the things science provides. I don't plan to give up my smart t- smartphone anytime soon or my computer or my car. So I'm grateful for it. it. It has done a lot of things that bless lives, but let's not forget where it comes from. Let's not forget that it changes. When I was a child, and okay, I'm getting old now, what can I say? The doctors told us to put butter on birds. That was the latest hypothesis. Well, you know, Kramer actually did that in order to absorb the sun better. Yes, well, there you go. At least he knew what he was doing because yeah. they were telling us that it would relieve the, the, the burn. But instead, it like drove all those, you know, burning sensations deeper into the, mm-hmm. the epidermis and below. So it's like, seriously? Like now, and guess what? They never apologized. They never said, oh my goodness, we're so sorry we said that. They just said, oh, forget that. Now let's do this. And that's what happens. They, do, they don't apologize. They didn't apologize to those probably two decades, maybe more, of middle-class women that doctors told not to breastfeed their babies. That happened you know, quite a while ago now, but, but there were women who were told. You, you have no idea how much nutrition they're getting. Spend all these hours sterilizing bottles and making formula out of this precise recipe so that you can make sure your kids are getting nutrition. And then the wheel turns again on the scientific method and they don't apologize. They just say, okay, scratch that. You know, actually there are these wonderful antibodies and so on that mother's milk provides. So, you know, go breastfeed your babies. Well, isn't this why one of your favorite quotes in this context, if I may, is likely that from Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black? <laughs> Which one is that? Where he says, what, what does he say? He says, you know, 1,500 years ago, we knew the oh, earth was flat. That's right. Or that the earth was the center of the universe. I can't remember how he says it exactly. Yeah, yeah. He said, 500 years ago, we knew that the earth was flat. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then he says, imagine, I, I can't remember one other, I think he gives one other example of that. But then he says, imagine what you'll know. That's right. You know. Tomorrow, basically. Tomorrow, Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, it's a quote, great way of putting quote. it. It, it is. is a good quote. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good like way. Obviously, Men in Black is like the whole idea is just it's funny fiction, whatever. But that but that you, part's true. That is so true. I, that is Science a, changes dramatically. Exactly. And that just drives home what your whole point. What we think we know. What we think we know. And that's, is, this speaks to a bigger issue here that, that not only – what's fascinating is that you can actually make the argument that they require a lot of faith to believe in the science that they have. They're just – Utilizing that faith in man as opposed to God, which is 
really interesting when you think about it that they for some reason feel more comfortable putting their faith there because it is it it, it requires faith you know i i absolutely agree with what you just said i absolutely agree and i've said that to so many people that we choose the framework for our belief and we can choose the scientific method or we can choose revelation but which one has never been wrong and which one has been wrong again and again and not that it doesn't grow into some really useful things like i said jet travel microsurgery i mean these are amazing things antibiotics for pete's sake but but to to rely on it as if it doesn't make mistakes or as if it knows everything against god let me you mentioned this uh, men in black quote let me let me go back to galileo right remember that galileo was imprisoned during the spanish inquisition for teaching that the earth was not the center of the universe and that actually it was the earth that circled the sun because people thought prior to that and the catholic church you know kind of endorsed this that uh, the sun moved like it appears to do in the sky but they thought that the sun really moved and galileo figured out that no it's the earth that moves so they put him in prison and he was there and he was so old and he was a rather popular guy so eventually they pulled him out and they said look if you'll just confess that the earth doesn't move we'll let you go home to you know live out your last period of life and uh, and he did he was old by that time and so he did say all right the earth doesn't move and then history tells he did us that. He re- so he renounced history that. tells us that under his breath he said and yet it does move <laughs> because he couldn't quite land on that which he now knew to be untrue now i don't know if they pretended not to hear him or whatever because they didn't want to go there who knows but they did let him go at that point now when was Galileo? I, I don't even know the year, but it was probably something around 15th century, right? So maybe it was maybe it was the 14th century. Well, you know, maybe you can check that. But the point is that in the book of Helaman, which was written before the coming of Christ to the Americas, uh, 1564 to 1642. Thank you. So 16th century Galileo. And but most of that would have happened in the 17th century, if you want to be specific, because he did die in 1642. But yeah. Okay, so into the 17th century. Yeah. So that's, that's even makes my point even better. So we're talking into the 1600s. Now, when is the Book of Helaman written? Uh, ooh, I like this quiz. Okay, the Book of Helaman would have been, I don't know, would have been like 20 years before Christ? Yeah, before? sometime in there. I mean, we should probably check that. But anyway, certainly before the coming of Christ. Not too long before. Not too long, yeah. So um, these, are, these are the days prior to Christ's coming. And because um, the sign hasn't been given yet, right? But... Um, Helaman, this is Helaman 12, right? Where he says that, um, you know, 6 man, BC in Helaman 12, by the way. Thank you very much, 6 BC. That man is less, let me, let me hand me this, we're going to read it right. But <laughs> man is less than the dust of the earth. You know, I mean, he talks mm-hmm. about, oh, how vain and frail and yeah. foolish are the sons of the children of man, whatever. This, because is, this is Nephi speaking from the tower. Is that, is this the context here? Yeah, probably, yes. So how foolish, how vain. How evil and devilish, and how quick to do iniquity, and how slow to do good are the children of men. Yea, how quick to hearken unto the words of the evil one, and to set their hearts upon the vain things of the world. How quick to be lifted up in pride, to boast, do all manner of that which is iniquity. I'm paraphrasing here, or not paraphrasing, but skipping around. They, they would not that the Lord their God who had created them should rule and reign over them, notwithstanding his great goodness and mercy. They set it not as counsels. Oh, how great is the nothingness of the children of men. Yea, and here it is. They are less than the dust of the earth, or behold, the dust of the earth moveth hither and thither, with dividing asunder, the command of our great and everlasting God. In other words, when God tells the dust to move, it moves. And when he tells people to move, they go, well, give me a good reason, and I'll think about it. (laughs) So we're not always 
you know, as obedient as the dust of the earth. And then it goes on and it says about the power of his voice. He can break up the hills and the mountains and make them like a valley. And by the power of his voice, did he, the whole earth shake. By the power of his voice, do the foundations rock. And if he says to the earth, move, it is moved. If he says to the earth, thou shalt go back, lengthen out the day for many hours, it is done. And thus, according to the word, sorry, according to his word, the earth goeth back. And it appeareth unto man that the sun standeth still. Yea, and behold, this is so for surely it is the earth that moveth and not the sun. <laughs> Look at that. 6 BC. Now, this is not the first time this information is given because we know that Abraham was an astronomer and God showed him everything and he showed Moses everything. And they understood how the universe worked and what moves and what doesn't move. Galileo goes to prison up until the 1600s. Because he's trying to get the world to understand which something been, which God has revealed to his prophets forever ago. Which would have been a predominantly Christian society, right? Well, it was. It was Catholic. Yeah. So that's fascinating to think that they, they were using the same Bible that Moses and Abraham wrote. wrote. And I mean, I guess they didn't write. <laughs> well, Moses that, wrote the first five. The, I guess they didn't write that the in the Bible. I mean, did or, that's not in the Bible, right? No, it's not no, in the Bible. Be. But but we know that God showed everything to Moses, and yeah. certainly we know that Abraham, you know, was told about the universe and Kolob and, and all that kind of stuff. And here Nephi actually says it. Yes, and yeah. here he says it. He's kind of been passing, by the way. Right. It's not even yeah. some big revelation. No, we already know. I mean, am I just, just I'm using just it as clarifying. a bullet point? That's right. <laughs> oh, by the way, we already know yeah. that it makes the sun look like it's standing still, yeah. but we know it never really right. moves anyway. So it's just an aside, like everybody knows this, because it's been revealed. So you tell me the last time Revelation was wrong. Now people can quibble about like, oh, well, they got it wrong with blacks and the priests. So that's another story, and I'm going to, you know, we could talk about that another time. That will be for another I don't time. believe that yeah. he got it wrong there either. Um, people might not like that, but there... That's, that's crazy that some, like, that's such a controversial thing now. I guess it's just a matter, like you were saying, are you going to choose science over re Revelation? And sometimes choosing Revelation may mean that we have to put some questions on the shelf and trust that God will answer them. Elder Oaks, or President Oaks, mentioned that at BYU. He said, we have to stop trying to create answers for things that God will reveal later on. But to trust that, like, every time we do see God speak, it ends up coming to be exactly as he said it was. And anybody looking around the last day, you should say, you know, this has all been prophesied. Are we really going to argue against Revelation? And again, it's if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. But my point, again, I keep going back to this, God's smarter than we are. Speaking of Abraham, Abraham 3, when he talks about intelligence, and he says whenever you know these two facts do exist, whenever there is one intelligence, there should be another one that's more intelligent. And a third that's more intelligent than the other two. And then what does he say? And he says, I'm the Lord thy God. I'm a more intelligent than they all. <laughs> and I think, how sad that he has to put it in print. I'm smarter than you. Try to hold that thought. I know everything, and I love you. So I'm not trying to jerk your chain with my commandments. I'm trying to bless you so that you can avoid the hot stoves and the cliff edges and the danger. Your life will be better if you live it according to what I'm trying to tell you. So don't tell me that like this sex therapist is going to tell you better than God if, if pornography is good or bad or if masturbation is good or bad. I mean, and we can get into that sometime, anytime about what some of the problems are with those things, with letting the natural man run amok and being driven by our appetites, for instance, or being into instant gratification as opposed to delayed gratification, which is kind of what you were saying about sex. Because sex is all about delayed gratification. Right. 
it's not about no gratification. It's not about demonizing sex or never being able to enjoy it. It's about like trusting that God knows the right time or place that blesses us more abundantly than we could do it in our own way or by our own appetites or knowledge, which is limited to this sphere. So I wasn't planning on having it go that route with the whole science uh, topic, which I'm glad it did. I think it's very valuable and I don't think it's actually talked about enough. But so I appreciate that. As we're kind of wrapping things up here, though, and I did want to say actually really quickly that your overall point is that it is, it's honestly, and I don't mean to sound sanctimonious here when I say this, but it's heartbreaking at times, at times, because there are other times when I don't feel heartbreak and I just feel more animosity or I'm angry or whatever, but really when you break it down to its most simple construct, it's really heartbreaking to think that people reject the commandments and the gospel for men, for imperfect men. For a mess men, of pottage. For a mess of pottage, yeah, as you've said before. And it is so sad. Because I do it, find it heartbreaking. It would just be so much easier. It'd be easier for them. Their life that's would be right. so much easier that's and right. nicer. And don't get me wrong, that's not easier. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying your life all of a sudden easy, becomes a cinch. But, but we don't have to create more issues exactly. because we're trying to second-guess God. Mm-hmm. And um, this is, you know, let me take just a couple of minutes here there was a response by jennifer finlayson five this is actually what i did want to get to before we closed up because and 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 i want to give a little preface here jennifer finlayson five is extremely popular in my own circle i've talked to people that not only see her as a counselor but listen to her podcasts or whenever she speaks and they really believe in what she's spreading and and i and i was skeptical when i was a, a good friend of mine who's very active in the church shared not i mean not to say that you can't be active in the church and, and you know appreciate what she has to say or whatever, right. but had right. um, shared a podcast with me, and it seemed like her approach was the church needs to really just like finally start getting on board with the rest of the world when it comes to sexuality, which I didn't like her thinking that, that the gospel had to adapt to exactly. the world. And so I was immediately skeptical, and we've talked about this before, but anyway, I'll, I'll leave that to you to Yeah. Guide. Well, and I am not an expert on Families and Fife and all her materials. I know she has been appreciated. I've had clients who have referenced her writings or materials or whatever, and, and I would say that some of the things that they've told me about, I thought, yeah, I agree with that. So I, you know, I'm not saying that all of her stuff is corrupt or whatever, and she's probably helped some people, and I just sure. can't yeah, yeah, speak yeah. with authority about... It, as you've said before, you don't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's water. right. That's but right. it is acknowledging that the bathwater could be really dirty at times. <laughs> or or mistaken, or maybe yeah. limited in perspective. And again, Which, I haven't talked with her directly. I would be happy to do that and see if maybe we have more resonance than disagreement. Although, I do know that she considers herself a friend and supporter of Natasha Helper, She did sign which, the letter. And she did sign the letter. So I, I obviously don't agree with her on everything. I never would have signed the letter. Ju- not just for the thing that I mentioned, but also a number of other things in the letter that, that are sort of along that same line that, you know, research knows better than God or mm. or that we can't be ethical therapists and, and listen to revelations of God in the face of like the DSM-5, which astonishes me because the DSM-5 is a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illnesses. And it's just, a, it's the result of a committee like, so we're going to take a committee decision against God? I, you know, no. And plus it changes. That's why it's the DSM-5. Must be a hell of a and committee. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, so apparently she posted this on Facebook, and a friend emailed, who's also a, a clinician, and a, um, I've worked with him in some nonprofits and so on, has emailed me her Facebook response to this. And um, let me read some of it. She said, um, some of you have reached out asking me to share 
my thoughts about the potential excommunication of my friend and professional colleague, Natasha Helfer. So this was prior to the actual disciplinary council and its result. So many of us feel for Natasha and the looming possibility of her being excommunicated. Others feel the leadership must have had good reason to take such a drastic measure. I'm going to skip a little bit. I have great respect for Natasha and the woman she is. She's been an honest and earnest voice in our Mormon community on topics that are much easier to avoid than speak to. Again, she's obviously referencing the fact that there is a hunger for this information, which I don't deny, or, and, I, and I think it should be met. We need to meet that need, but with, I would say, uh, more grounded responses that don't think that we have to, and this is the terrible thing, is they act like the dilemma is, do we stay faithful to the gospel or do we deal with truth? And to me, that's the false the false question. That's, that's just framing it completely wrong because God has all the truth. And if we don't get it, we just need to like understand it better and teach it more clearly. So anyway, then she goes on and says that uh, she understands Natasha's sometimes unorthodox and unvarnished views, to say the least, might be uncomfortable or even offensive. That's true. I think they are offensive. I don't find them uncomfortable. I think they're offensive. Uh, We are in a time of massive transition. Okay, in our culture, but in our membership, I feel for church leaders who are trying to navigate ever-changing social realities, descent, and faith crisis. I think that's supposed to be a generous statement, but I'm like, I don't feel sorry for the church leaders. They, They have God as a resource. So I'm not saying, oh, gee, what are they coming up with? Are they going to stay abreast? Are they going to be current enough? Are they going to... I don't worry about that because I do trust in our prophetic leadership. Again, which is not to say they're not men. They are men and women in some of the auxiliary positions. They're not... But but I trust that God has made a promise that our leaders will not lead the church astray, particularly, of course, the prophet. Go ahead. Along these lines, I do want to note, because I, I, I've thought about this before. We've probably talked about this before. I, I find it fascinating, and, and, and quite frankly, I think we know the reason why. Uh, when people essentially are trying to get ahead of the game of the prophets, and they're trying to say, oh, well, you know, it's only a matter of time till they start allowing this or that or the other or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're, maybe they're even trying to cause that to happen. Kate Kelly is a great example of that. It seems right. like she was driven ordained more women. by wanting to be progressive with the ordained women movement than actually caring that women had the priesthood. It seemed like to me. Now, granted, I could be completely wrong there. But there's so much hubris tied to that mentality. So the whole foundation, a lot of times, when it comes to that, is just based on just a, a really, really terrible motivation i think yeah there's an arrogance again about it absolutely because is a good word yeah and i and i do agree with that and it does seem to cast doubt on whether or not we're led by prophets and that i have a real problem with seems like this is what we're seeing here a lot it seems like it happens on every corner almost these days so she says uh she feels for them while preserving the tenets of the faith we hold it cannot be easy time to lead all right granted and managing our response to people's ideals that diverge from our own is not simple some might feel now this is something i have a problem with that's a little condescending by the way when she says it might be an easy time it's not an easy time to lead well i mean i guess you could have to agree Uh, with that but it it may sound a little bit that way and and it certainly could be interpreted that way i suppose but some might feel that removing the membership of someone who openly dissents would somehow protect us but it won't okay i have a problem with that statement And again, I do recognize that if you talk to someone face-to-face and you really try to define your terms and explain the context or whatever, that a lot of times some of that disagreement disappears. I don't know this woman, but on its face... To say it's so definitive like that is kind of crazy. On its face, I, I can't agree with this because it seems to really suppose the wrong intention for communication for excommunication she says 
that this would protect us, that people think it would protect us. Well, I recognize that the church on occasion, you know, has said that, yes, they want to protect the integrity of the organization. So if you've got a bishop out there who's behaving badly or, you know, a prominent figure publicly who is sinning, that yes, sometimes excommunication happens to make it clear that the church doesn't accept or endorse that kind of behavior or or just, um, you know, nod at it or, or uh, close its eyes to it. So I suppose you could say that that's somewhat protective of the integrity of the organization, but really the point of excommunication is clearly explained in Mosiah 26, where Alma goes to King Mosiah and says, what shall I do with the sinners? And King Mosiah thinks about it, but rightly comes back and says, you know, it's not really within my stewardship Nothing. because they're not breaking the law. I actually just read this. Well, the it's a day. great section, isn't it? Yeah. And, and he's correct because he's the head of the government and he doesn't have jurisdiction over their moral transgressions. He's believing, he essentially is already adopting the concept of the separation of church and state. That's right. So Alma goes right to the Lord, which is always the right thing to do. And he, and it says, because he feared to do that, which was wrong in the sight of the Lord. So he asked the Lord what to do about these sinners in the church. And the Lord, and I remember the first time that I really noticed this, I was probably an undergrad or something in college. It was a long time ago, but I was a little surprised at the response. And I had to kind of do a double take and say like, wait a minute, what was the answer again? Because what happens in the next verses is a review of the plan of salvation in a very succinct form. Basically, those that obey my commandments and do right, and I'm paraphrasing, but will be on my right hand, and those that don't will be on my left. And then Alma knows what to do. So I remember going back and saying, like, wait, where was the answer? And it was clearly, you know, once you look at it, it's that Cut your they can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it that way. Dead weight. I would say, no, I wouldn't put it that way either. I would say... He's telling us, and he's telling Alma, that if they don't repent, they can't be a part of my kingdom there. Mm -hmm. So to let them think that they're a part of my kingdom here is a disservice. Because they could get to the other side and say, well, wait a minute, how do I end up on the Lord's left hand? I was a, I was a member. Like I a, went to church. It's like a South Park clip. He's like, wait a second, what am I doing here in hell? I was a, I was a <laughs> Orthodox Jew. And this other person's like, yeah, and I was a practicing Baptist. What am I doing? I, I should be, I should, what am I doing in hell? He's like, nope, sorry, that was all the wrong answer. And it's like, well, then what was the right answer? The Mormons. <laughs> the <laughs> yes, Mormons I, were the right answer. I heard about that one. Anyway, that was hilarious. But yeah. But okay, so the basic idea is that are we playing fair with people if we let them think that they're in full fellowship in the kingdom of God on earth? No, I, I, that's exactly right. I get what you're saying. And they're not going to be over there because they would be justified in saying like, wait a minute, where was my bishop? Where was my stake president? Shouldn't somebody have warned me that I was on a bad path? Because I would have corrected. It seems like they're almost wanting to specifically toe the line here to some degree and be like, have their cake and eat it too. Like, I still want to be a part of the church, but I don't want to be of the Compliant. church. Compliant. Yeah. Like, <laughs> with, with all that the church. In the church, not of the church. <laughs> I suppose so. That's... Probably Never the way heard it kind of, it that of way, have you? <laughs> nope, haven't. But that I think that that's the problem is that to think that excommunication is a punishment or trying to, you know, we have to protect the church. And although, like I said, with high profile people or whatever, the church does want to maintain a kind of integrity of function and, and standard, but it's not really the church that needs protection. I mean, haven't we read that no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper? And I remember when I was teaching adult religion in Las Vegas many, many years ago now. A woman came into class one day, and she uh, was pretty upset because Costco was selling a book, and I can't even remember who the author was, and it was basically revealed the entire temple endowment, and she had left the church or been excommunicated, I forget, and anyway, there were lots of copies for sale at Costco, and this woman said, came in, and she was kind of upset, and she said, oh, I just wanted to buy all the copies and burn them. I just hate to have them out there or whatever, and I said, 
Yeah, I mean, it is sad, but it's mostly sad for this woman. Absolutely. And I said, because, like, how can she really hurt the church? And and I said, like, has anybody remembered Sonia Johnson, which you guys who are listening are probably too young, but she was a fifth-generation Mormon who championed the Equal Rights Amendment that church leaders had, in a not very typical um, movement or choice, had come out and said not to vote for. You know, they don't usually tell us how to vote, but they had made a point of saying that this is an unwise piece of uh, of legislation to try to amend the Constitution in this way, and they had encouraged members of the church to fight against the ratification of that amendment. It's a long story, but the point is that Sonia Johnson became a public figure because she was this fifth-generation Mormon, and she championed the ERA contrary to the admonitions and guidance of the, of the First Presidency. So she got a lot of airtime, and she chained herself to the gates of the temple somewhere, or the legislature in Illinois, I forget. Anyway, there were all kinds of drama concerning her. It's a clutch move on her part, clutch yeah. pippy move. And anyway, this was probably 10 or 15 years later that I was teaching this adult religion class, and this lady is concerned about the book in Costco, and I said, well, tell me for a second, can anybody tell me where Sonia Johnson is right now? And everybody looked around and said, well, no. And I said, yeah, neither, neither can I. <laughs> In other words, like, people who fight against the church don't prosper. We don't need to protect the church through excommunication. Now, it, it might protect some other people who might be followers of a person who is still in good fellowship. And again, it's time kind of to keep the integrity of the church and say, no, this person has gone too far outside the bounds of, of the church. But the church isn't into cleansing or purging or, I mean, we have heard from forever that, you know, Christ has taught that the wheat grow with the tares in the kingdom. And it's not until Christ comes that he bundles them up into their separate bundles and burns them, you know, burns the tares. But until then, the wheat and the tares grow together. The church isn't concerned about that. Well, and to your point, it's the church has not only survived adversity, they have thrived in the face of it. I Is think there there's evidence. <laughs> anything you can point to that says otherwise? <laughs> not at all. There I really mean, isn't. That's, that's what the Lord does. He prospers us. He prospers the righteous. And it can be a long game. It, it always is a long game, so it doesn't happen in the moment. But yes, there is evidence. There is evidence that nothing can stop this work. I mean, it is the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, as seen by Daniel, that will fill the whole earth. Who are we afraid of here? We're not afraid of Natasha Helfer or anybody else. So to think that, like, you know, ex that, wow, we may think that excommunicating someone will protect us, but it won't, is a completely false conception of what it means to excommunicate or why. That we're not trying to save the church from somebody who might take us down. That's not going to happen. Satan can't take us down. I don't think anybody else is going to be able to do it either. And clearly it won't. We know God wins. It's not really about any of that. It's like, you know, the train is going to roll forth. Get on the train or get out of the way. And yes, it may send a message to people who are following her and are confused because they have a need to understand something more about sexuality or whatever. And then they're confused by these messages because she advertises herself as a Mormon sex therapist. So now they're saying, well, maybe that's gone too far because people might think that that's sanctioned by the church. Yeah. And it's not. And it's not. I mean, yes, if she wants to get her life in line and be um, humble and repentant and, and be more in line, um, then of course we would welcome her back. Of course we would, for her own sake. But it doesn't seem like, I mean, apparently she's going to um, petition or uh, appeal, I think is the word that they use, that she can appeal 
that That's results a, with the disciplinary canals. She's just uh, trying counsel. to position herself for even more yeah. fodder. I can't imagine she actually cares at this point. Well, again, I'm not trying to and you say shouldn't, I know but what I will. she feels. And I'm not saying I know, but that's my speculation. Well, Absolutely, and it, it could be. And then, and then uh, Finlayson Fife goes on and, and says that we need dissent. No, no, we don't. I mean, do we deal with it? Sure, we do. I'm of course, sure we can. But we need it. That, really. And then she goes on and says, "We need to be strong enough to let our like, view of truth be challenged." Does she mean dissent, or does she really mean we need challengers? You'd have to ask her, but she says dissent. Because challengers, I can kind of get behind, like to some degree. Well, I don't we mean need to, to ask questions. Yeah, we yeah, need and to that's clarify. Really all I mean. I we need to explain. Mean... We should be afraid of chances to clarify or right. understand better. I think that or... can be healthy. It's kind of like you know what? Like, I would agree. Maybe like challenge yourself, challenge people that tell you something. Not not in a way of condescending tone or think that's arrogance right. and that you know more than them but in a way of like let's at least try to come to the truth together here I totally agree with that and i certainly wanted my children to ask any question that was ever on their minds and to treat it with respect and, and but to say dissenters yeah dissent has a very specific meaning that i think is not helpful here and then again i can't say exactly what she meant but i don't like the use of that word and then she says um we need the body of Christ in all of its variation to become whole. Again, I don't think that would be doctrinally accurate. Again, what does she mean by that? Yeah, what does she even mean by that? I don't know. I have well, zero clue what you you don't remember mean. how, what is the Old Testament prophecy about? Is it Jeremiah? I always forget. But anyway, somebody who talks about the fish in the net and that they're of every kind of fish. And that's true. The gospel's for everybody. Black, white, purple, green, you know, red, yellow. It's for everybody. So we welcome all. We say visitors welcome on the chapels, and that's exactly what it is. All can come. Christ denies none and invites all to come to the feast, to the banquet hall. And, of course, that's how we should all feel. But that doesn't mean that that's the ultimate goal. And, in fact, my mother, great sociologist that she was, my father, too, they were really brilliant minds, and they talked about this stuff, that, you know, they have, there were two contradictory goals in the three main purposes of the church, right? Come to Christ through what? Um, preaching the gospel, perfecting the saints, and redeeming the dead. And and my mother would point out, but you realize that two of them are sort of uh, mutually exclusive. Like to convert the world, to preach the gospel and convert the world and bring in all those different kinds of fishes. And then to perfect the saints means to become one. So she says, the more people we bring in, the harder it is to become one, you know, because Zion is one heart, one mind, and no poor, uh, Moses 7, right? So um, I thought that was a really interesting point, but it is possible through the great merciful plan of our Heavenly Father and Christ's infinite atonement. We can become one, but it is about becoming one. Elder Oaks gave a great speech called Weightier Matters of the Law at BYU years ago. I don't remember what year, but it's easy to find. And he talked about how diversity is not a goal. It's a, it's a means. Like, yes, we invite everybody, and that's going to be a bunch of diverse people who come into the church. We send missionaries everywhere. All are welcome. But then the goal is to become one, and that seems to be what she's missing here because she says later on, um, what does she say? The message of the gospel is one of an infusion, okay, of inclusion, sorry. Um, we need her to stay. If we are going to become a Zion-like people, we need to not alienate. Okay, that's a clear misunderstanding of well, Zion. Well, her imperfect version of Zion, maybe. It, it seems to be that she's missing something. And again, I don't know this woman. She's probably a very nice woman who's done a lot of good for some people, and I and I respect that. Counseling is a weird bag. It's a mixed profession. You know, it takes all kinds, I suppose, but I don't think all kinds are necessarily equally helpful. 
I, I'm not saying she hasn't been helpful. I do think we need to get rid of the shame that can surround some people when it comes to sexuality. It sounds to me like that was one of her big messages from what I've heard from my own clients about her book. I haven't read her books, but I, I believe that that was a good intention and I would, I would agree with that to eliminate. Although I must say, I think people go too far and I do think that sometimes it's useful to feel shame about behaviors that we should be ashamed of. <laughs> Guilt can be very motivating. So I, not shame about sex, yeah. not shame about yeah, sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think should... guilt, it, guilt is a natural fallout from dissonance among in yourself, really. From sin. Right? That's right. Exactly. And it's, it's and just it a law that you, you have to feel that just by law of nature, I believe. And God tells us how to you... love sinners, including ourselves, but to hate sin which is a part of that guilt. It's right. like, I hate that I did that, or I hate that that was a part of my life, and I'm getting rid of it. How you allow that to act in your life is completely in your control. Bingo. I think if, if you feel ashamed, I think you're letting Satan come in. I, and again, it would depend on how we define our sure. terms. But I do agree that the way we use it now, shame is usually pretty toxic. So I'm not disagreeing with that as a general rule. I just think we tend to go too far, and then we want everybody I don't to think feel guilt, good about no matter what they do. I don't think guilt is... is well used when it's cast on somebody from another person well, by any means. Um, I think Boyd it should K all be in internal. Boyd K. Packer uh, said, and I think brilliantly so, that guilt must be reserved for sin. <laughs> and I think that that sums it up. And that is an internal process, and right. it shouldn't be like, like guilting somebody into exactly. something. Exactly, like even bishops to... won't wouldn't use it as a weapon. Shouldn't, and but I they would wouldn't say use that it for at the all, vast majority, right? yeah. If you feel guilty, that's you know that's just like it's a natural consequence of the law. But so I did have a problem with that idea of Zion. Zion, you know, again, diversity is not the goal. Uh, Zion is the goal. One heart, one mind. We do need to come together, and and how do we come together? In Christ, with His Word, His Light, His Truth. Not by committee, not by voting, not by giving revelation to Christ. The church does not give revelation to Christ. Oh, Lord, I think it's time to change this policy. Oh, Lord, I think we got to get, you know, up to the minute here on this, and we're a little behind the times. No, no, that's not the way it works. And it's, it's a, a kind of pride and arrogance. It's very, very dangerous. And Zion is one heart, one mind. Um, again, I'd, I'd probably, you know what, I like people. As a clinician, it's easy to like people. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I'm not saying I would dislike either of these women or any of the others who've fallen on this side of it. Personally, I don't. It'd be amazing uh, but I mean, if I, I could invite her on this podcast and just have you two just duke it out. Not duke it out because there's <laughs> nothing to be accomplished that, by duking it out. But certainly discussing anything that, um, that we may differ on and All seeing right, if we can come to common ground. I will say this about counseling. Let the buyer beware. I say that all the time. That's how I actually wanted to close. I wanted to close that way. And you you um, had even mentioned how since that letter had been signed, you had one inquiry of a potential client that asked, did you sign that letter? They didn't give any context for that question. Context, yeah. <laughs> they could have been that they wanted you to or they didn't want you to. That's they right. just asked. And you looked at that and you said, I'm, you said, I'm glad they asked that question because very much so. it, go, it goes in that whole thing of if you're going to seek counseling, it should at least be somebody that shares your same values. And we go with your eyes wide open. the most possible. That's right. That the, That's right. That, the, that, that basically the, the values, if there's going to be, uh, what's the word, I'm, like a Venn diagram, it should be a circle as much as it can. 
Sure. Between your values and your counselor's values. And if I would agree. And that's not always possible. I know that not yeah. everybody is in a position where they can find an LDS therapist, although since COVID, pretty much everybody's doing Zoom or FaceTime mm-hmm. or whatever. So that has opened it up in some nice ways for people who live in areas with fewer resources that yeah. are members of the church. Um, I will say that uh, for, future, for further reference, people might be interested in going to Meridian Online Magazine which um, had a wonderful article by Jeff Banyan, who's a clinician in the church. Uh, doesn't work for the church, but he is a faithful member of the church, and he wrote a wonderful response to the whole Natasha Helfer situation and um, specifically the letter that was What's written. What's the URL for that? Not the actual letter itself, but just Meridian Magazine online. How do you find that? I think if you just look Meridian Magazine, you're going to find it. I, okay. I, I'm sorry, I don't really know. But That's I looked okay. up Meridian Jeff Benyon, and it came up. And there was a different URL, but I forget. But it's not hard to find. And also, uh, in the same issue um, of that Meridian online magazine was another related article written by a Dr. Cunningham where he did just sort of a, an informal survey of people that he knew. So he doesn't claim that this has, you know, any kind of randomization or is scientifically um, maybe uh, it would stand up under much scrutiny, but he just was interested in doing a, an informal survey of people who have sought therapy with LDS clinicians and why they did so, what were their goals in seeking out specifically a Latter-day Saint clinician and uh, if those needs were full, met. And he had some pretty sad stories to tell about people who felt that they were safe with a Latter-day Saint clinician, but then felt later on that they had been guided to behave in ways that were not consistent with their beliefs and did prolong some of the struggles that they had or create some additional issues. So um, that's always tragic. Um, Counseling is an incredible privilege, and it's a great responsibility because people are at the end of what they know how to do. And these are you know, people have all kinds of personal resources and inspiration, but people get stuck. And so they go for help, and they're incredibly vulnerable, and they let a stranger, virtually a stranger, um, have access to the most private parts of their lives. So that's a, there's a great deal of trust shown there. The first article that I was required to read in my master's program, which is the clinical degree, was called First Do No Harm. And that was in a secular setting, of course, but it certainly that's applies here. Even in the like in the medical community, yes, that's like, it'd be the same thing. It's it's, a, it's an imperative yeah. for anybody who's in the helping, um, you know, resources or in the helping um, professions, yeah. is that we do have a great trust and we have access to people's vulnerabilities. So we need to be incredibly careful. So anyway, just be very cautious and don't be afraid to leave a therapeutic situation and don't be afraid to ask what they believe and if that's because you're scared of it being personal just remember it is personal it's personal it's very personal <laughs> to you specifically right that's right that's right but you know make sure that you're comfortable and don't be afraid to ask don't be afraid to ask and if you don't get an answer you're probably in the wrong place well mom with that we'll go ahead and wrap it up but i really appreciate you taking the time out to talk about this i think it's extremely valuable and i'm really glad the direction that all of this took it's fun to be here. And yesterday was Mother's Day, so this also seemed very timely for me specifically. Well, thank you. Right, thank you. Love you. Love you too. Bye. There's an hourglass sitting on my table I'm watching Cause everything's changing my mind Going to a different time so mad the 
Must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Cause I could almost see it. Did you fade right out of view? If it takes time.